AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Imagine if you will. Snowfall so thick in the sky it is as if it's raining milk. That's what forecasters are calling for in the northern plains. Well, figuratively speaking. Today we're tying together milk, snow, and antibiotics by prescription only in today's AgriTalk. Live from Tuesday the 13th via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a weather report from Brett Waltz and Matt Griffin from BAM WX. Then it's Sandy Stetchen from the U of Wisconsin at Madison Extension. Later, dairy producer Casey Dugan. And right after the news, Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. I'm your host, Davis Michelson. Welcome to AgriTalk, everyone. I'm so pleased you have opted to tune in. Good morning. Hope it's all going well for you so far today. Uh, Some pretty important things to discuss this morning. Perhaps you're already aware, maybe you already know this, uh, but soon antibiotics for livestock on your farm will be available by prescription only. Let me just repeat that for those of you in the back. Antibiotics for livestock on your farm will be available by prescription only. We will get the lowdown on that uh, when the new rules take effect and what you need to do to be ready And speaking of ready, we talked with Brett Waltz yesterday briefly about the storm raging across the nation's north country. We need to dig deeper into that so you can prepare for the storm and actually what comes after. That what comes after part sounds a little chilly, so we want to make sure we've got the straight skinny on that. I also want to hit South American weather uh, with the guys from BAM, so it'll be great to chat with them coming up in the next segment. And later, get this, we got a guy who moved the family dairy from Wisconsin to Arizona and is currently, it gets better, he's currently using inmate labor to keep the uh, the proverbial froth flowing. I'm looking forward to that conversation there. And then, of course, we've got Karen Bonert coming up after the news to update us on Farm Journal's annual milk conference uh, that's that's going on in sunny Las Vegas right now. Is it sunny in Las Vegas? I have no idea. Well, we'll ask Karen. Maybe she can tell us. Um, once again, thanks for tuning in. Davis Michelson here. Chip is out this week. Uh, let's get to the news. The annual inflation rate in the United States slowed for a fifth straight month to 7.1% in November of 2022. That's the lowest since December of last year and below market forecasts of 7.3%. That follows a reading of 7.7% in October. Now, compared to the previous month, the CPI edged up 0.1%. That's the least in three months, and also lower than forecasts of 0.3%. That feels like some pretty decent economic news there, if only a slight improvement. Fed officials today are scheduled to begin meetings to discuss what is expected to be a one-half percentage point rise in interest rates. We'll have the news on that later on this week. 
Congress is struggling once again to reach a deal on government uh, funding to avert a shutdown. Let me get this going here. Uh, at the end of the week, it could be shut down. Senate Ag Republican Chuck Grassley pointed out before the current spending extension, the political and fiscal imperative of avoiding a shutdown. Government can't be shut down, so we're going to be operating under a continuing resolution, which means continue spending now at the level we had in the present fiscal year. So here's the rub. Uh, Democrats reportedly want parity between domestic and defense spending. Republicans want domestic cuts after big hike, uh, hikes in COVID relief in other areas. Meanwhile, House GOP leaders want a funding extension so we can kick the can into January when they will have control of the House. About 15 million people in a dozen states are under winter weather alerts today as a massive coast-to-coast storm continues to head east. The storm has already caused huge snowfalls in California and is back on track to strengthen today. Meteorologists warn the storm will bring dangerous blizzard conditions in the Great Plains, icy weather in the upper Midwest, and severe storms along the Gulf Coast. Some areas inside the blizzard warnings could receive as much as 20 inches of snow, gang, with winds strong enough to knock down tree limbs and cause power outages. Meanwhile, the southern end of the storm is expected to bring late-season tornadoes, along with strong thunderstorms and large hail. Yikes. Just yikes. Uh, there was some thunder last night here in, in my area where I am. I'm a little further south than I used to be, but uh, thunder this time of year. We'll get the uh, the skinny from the gang from Bam WX. We'll dig deep. Portland, Oregon's city council recently voted to phase out petroleum diesel sales and replace the product with biofuels. City leaders say the efforts to reduce dependence on non-renewable fossil fuels by increasing the required percentage of renewable fuels blended with petroleum diesel. Replacing petroleum diesel at the pump is one of 43 priority actions listed in the Portland Climate Emergency Work Plan. The good people of Portland opting for biofuels. I like the sound of that. Members of the European Parliament in Brussels agreed to enforce the world's first carbon border tax. The carbon border adjustment mechanism imposes tariffs on the imports of goods such as cement and steel to account for the carbon dioxide emissions they generate. It seeks to prevent European firms outsourcing production to parts of the world with weaker environmental standards. And finally, Ukraine's president has asked G7 leaders for modern tanks and long-range weapons amid heavy fighting in his country's east. The G7 promised to meet Ukraine's urgent requirements. That situation, of course, ongoing and volatile. Let me bring in Karen Bonet from Farm Journal's Milk. Now, Karen, are you in Las Vegas right now? Yeah, I am. I made my way there last night. Is the sun shining? That, I think that's what everyone wants to know. Is the sun shining in <laughs> Vegas today? <laughs> the sun is shining in Vegas today. The lights are bright. You know, it, feel good. it feels good to, of course, leave the farm and to gather yeah. for our for Davis, our 20th anniversary of our milk business conference. And um, really the goal of this conference is to help dairy producers to make bold decisions that will help them drive their operation forward. Um, so the, the conference itself kicks off later today with a large dairy sustainability panel that we, we bring in Starbucks, Nestle, and a California dairy producer to the stage. And this will really be a great panel to listen to. And then later this afternoon, we'll have a a labor panel, which will focus on retaining employees with two dairy producers, one from Arizona and one from Wisconsin. 
along with a hog producer from Tennessee. So very, you know, different, but every producer who will want to listen to this panel because everyone has faced some kind of challenges with labor. And this will make any retention tips that the panel can offer to be a huge takeaway for attendees. Um, yeah, sounds like a little, little something for everybody there at the dairy conference. Absolutely. You know, I think that there's many opportunities here in Vegas this week. Of course, it's fun to gather, leave the farm and address both challenges and opportunities ahead for the dairy industry. <clears throat> but the key to make this a successful conference is, of course, driven by the Great Farm Journal team and all of our sponsors. But the key for dairy producers making this a great event to attend is to mingle, is to network. It's to get to know somebody that they didn't come here with. Mix and mingle with the jingle and beat down at the Dairy Conference <laughs> in Las Vegas. Karen Boner, thanks for joining us this morning. I appreciate you. Enjoy your conference. Thanks, Davis. Well, when we come back, we'll have uh, Brett Waltz and Matt Griffin from BAM WX. As I said, I did talk to Brett yesterday, but two minutes was just not enough. Uh, when they're making predictions like this, the snow and ice. Yeah, we need to dig deeper. So we're going to find out about that, but the. Uh, the storm not only is snow and ice, we're talking possible tornadoes, possible severe weather. And I also want to see if we've got time to talk a little South America. Woo! Lots to talk about coming up next. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by NK Seeds, the fastest growing seed brand, getting you top hybrids and varieties that perform on your acre. NK Seeds, bushels don't lie. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. So glad you've tuned in today. Lots to get to. Let me bring in Brett Waltz from BAM WX. Brett, it seems like only yesterday we were talking. <laughs> yes, and it is because it's a very busy week ahead, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. And let's also bring in Matt Griffin. Matt, welcome to AgriTalk. Matt, have we spoken before? I don't I don't know that we have. I don't think we have. This is the first time. Glad to be here. Outstanding. Well, uh, Matt, I'm going to throw you the softball then. Uh, big, big winter storm coming with some uh, frigid temperatures to follow. Just give us the bullet points on this. Yeah, I'm going to let Brett kind of tackle the the, the winter storm threat here. But uh, okay. what do you got, well, Brett? Yeah, Brett? I'll do the winter storm. I'll, I'll match the South America expert. So I'll let oh, you excellent. Get, so you, oh, yeah, perfect. Matt is our, our resident South America expert here. So I'll kind of cover the blizzard for you and kind of let him take that over. Because I know it's really important down there as well. But as far as this, this winter storm, 
Um, you know, it's really just start starting to ramp up right now, to be completely honest. And I think the worst of it is still to come as we work into really this evening and into the overnight hours tonight. Uh, we're kind of at least finally starting to get out of the, the bigger ice accumulations across uh, parts of, you know, northern Iowa, southwest Minnesota there. But the heaviest snow is still to come and probably the lowest visibility is still to come across parts of western Nebraska, parts of South Dakota, parts of southern and southeastern North Dakota, uh, you know, Aberdeen in those areas and even into parts of Minnesota as well as we work overnight tonight. And then that's not going to be the end of it because this low pressure system, it actually kind of stalls out and sits around as we work throughout the day tomorrow. Snow will be lighter tomorrow, won't be quite as impactful, won't be coming down quite as heavy across these areas. But then there's a secondary low that develops as we work into your Thursday morning and I think some heavy additional snow accumulations possible across parts of eastern Minnesota, Minneapolis, up into northern and central parts of Wisconsin as we work really through a good part of your Thursday. And then that low continues to spin. More snow showers possible throughout Friday and even into Friday night. Can you give us a handle on where the front edge of that storm is currently, Brett? Yeah, for sure. So uh, we're, we're starting to see some snow work into parts of, of central North Dakota right now. Um, the main low pressure is still kind of sitting over the central plains. And that that's kind of something else we need to talk about is a secondary area. This is a system that's right now impacting from North Dakota all the way down through Texas. We have uh, have had several tornadoes across parts of Texas and Oklahoma this morning. And I think that is something that could continue to push off to the east as we work into this evening as well across Louisiana, across parts of the Deep South, where additional tornadoes, additional damaging winds will be possible in northern Louisiana, eastern Texas, and into parts of western Mississippi. I find myself in the great state of Missouri at uh, present, and it, it seems like maybe we're in a bit of a I don't know, kind of a dead zone between these two storms or can, I mean, is it going to be a north to south sort of blast of, of psycho weather? Well, you're going to get some rain out there. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But in terms of, you know, the extreme weather, in terms of getting blizzard conditions like to the north across the Dakotas and Minnesota, in terms of getting severe weather like areas to the south, you're kind of in between. But I'm sure that there's many around you that would probably take a nice soak of rain, which I do think a yeah. uh, good area can get across Missouri and into the Ohio Valley as we work over the next 24 hours or so. Well, we could definitely, we'll, we certainly won't uh, pass on that rain for sure. All right, <laughs> yeah, Matt Griffin, uh, you're up. Let's talk South American weather. Dude, my problem with the Argentine forecast is... I keep showing up to work on Monday, and it's like weekend rains were pretty okay for some areas, but the next 10 days could continue hot and dry patterns. Um, help me get my head around the general South American weather forecast, bro. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, again, thanks for having me on. And you nailed it right on the head there. These rains we get every once in a while for Argentina, they lack two things. They lack consistency. They only come in about once every 7 to 10 days. And then when they do come in, they're hit and miss. Sure, some spots get locally some heavy rain, but considering the drought they're already in, it's a bad position. That's probably the worst they've been that I can remember. And these one-off rains aren't going to do the trick. You get some rains, the next seven to 10 days are dry. And not only that, but we're dealing with heat and we've been in heat. That's 
mid nineties and a hundred degree type of heat, that's really just going to suck the moisture out of the soils there in Argentina. And again, the next seven, 10 days, there's really not a whole lot of rain to really speak of into Argentina. The heat's going to be there. It may not be as extreme as last week, but I wouldn't be surprised to see model data underdoing the heat um, as it's typical in these drought situations that model data just can underdo how warm temperatures can actually get there. So Argentina, not a really good look in the next seven days. And I'll be honest, I'm not very impressed with the look over the next two weeks there for Argentina. Did I hear you right that you're saying the models may be underestimating how hot it's going to get during the hot periods here near term? Yeah, it's it's very common when we get in these drought situations that the model data, it just struggles to see how dry the soils are. And the drier the soils are, the higher your high-end temperatures can kind of achieve here. So okay. it's very possible that model data could be underdone in that respect for sure. Matt, I did take a weather course at one of Northern Iowa's premier universities, Go Panthers, but I think I must have slept through La Nina Day. Um, can you tell us where we are in that cycle and what impact that may have longer term on South American weather? Absolutely. So we are still very much in a La Nina, and anytime we're talking about La Nina, we're just talking about cooler than normal ocean waters in the Pacific What's interesting about this year versus some previous years is we're what's called an eastern base La Nina. So our coldest waters are right off the coast of South America here. And it certainly has an impact on South American weather. In fact, we're seeing it. We've been seeing it for Argentina. It is not a good look for Argentina. Um, and overall, it's just a drier risk across the continent. Now, upcoming into the next two weeks, there's some better rains into Mato Grosso. Goya, some of those major soybean areas into Brazil. Uh, but what La Nina can do, especially as we head into January, as we head into February, we could see those areas, especially I'm looking towards Mato Grosso and Goyas, start to trend a little bit drier as we head deeper into the season here. We've actually seen it the last couple of years here. I mean, this is our third year in La Nina, and those rains can just kind of shut off. And it just happens. The rains will turn off, and it's hard to get those rains reestablished and I'd be a little bit concerned later in the season for Mato Grosso, Goyas, and some of those areas there for the dryness to expand. And on top of all that, it's just not good at all for Argentina. It's just going to continue to favor drier risk there through the season with this La Nina. And that's, I anticipate we stay in that really through the spring months here um, moving forward. Did I read a post from the Australian Meteorological something or other that, that was saying they suspect we may be shifting into an Enzo neutral pattern, or was that just a dream? It, well, it's not a dream. Uh, <laughs> that's what the model data is indicating, is that we slowly start to get to more neutral. Here's the thing, though. Model data has been struggling to really capture that idea. They've been trying to raise it too quick to neutral the past, from what I can remember, for the past few months here. So a bit suspect of how quickly that does rise, but I do anticipate that it does rise. It may not even be till summer where we can get to neutral, regardless uh, for these remaining growing months into South America and planting months. I think we're going to continue to feel the impacts of La Nina down here. And we know how that's gone the last few years. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the takeaway is, um, continued sort of spotty rains in Argentina and even up into Brazil, although Brazil may may get the, the long end of that stick and hotter hots for, for the yes, area sir. near term, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it right there. 
That's uh, Matt Griffin from BAM WX. Brett Waltz uh, and Matt Griffin, we have, it's been quite a journey, the three of us. We've gone from ultra crazy winter weather to uh, weather that will be hotter than expected, perhaps down into South America and everywhere in between. Brett, it, it does sound to me like for the better part of the nation's midsection and northern plains, you're predicting a white Christmas. It seems like an easy call at this point. Yeah, I, the areas that are seeing heavy snow right now, frankly, will have issues getting uh, low temperatures above zero uh, from this point forward. You know, I'm looking at temperatures as we work into early next week across the north central U.S. down into the negative teens, maybe even negative 20s in spots. Uh, that snow that's falling right now, I do not anticipate to melt. And I think that there's more winter storm potential to come, perhaps across uh, the Ohio Valley and the Great Lakes, maybe even into the northeast U.S., leading up to Christmas. One of the coldest patterns we've seen in decades leading up to Christmas is what we're expecting. Brett Waltz, I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for the update on the yeah. big storm. Thank you. And Matt Griffin, outstanding, sir. It's it's great to talk to you. I, I hope maybe we can uh, tap into your knowledge of South American weather in the in the future. You're, are you uh, in? Absolutely. You for that? Would be yeah? more happy. Absolutely. Fantastic. That's Matt Griffin from BAM WX along with our pal Brett Waltz, uh, an update from north to south from the ultra cold to the ultra hot, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sounds like the show me states got the got the best end of the good here. We'll be right back with the uh, markets update, and then we've got Sandra Stitchin talking antibiotics. Time for markets now with the experts from Pro Farmer. Joining me now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, yesterday pressure on the soybeans to the uh, tune of double digits, but man, look at the whole soybean complex aggressively higher this morning. Yeah, really, it's everything, Davis. Uh, just a, a broader uh, step back. It, you know, big risk on day today across the marketplace, and uh, you know, stock markets ripping to the upside. Uh, the dollar is sharply lower. Uh, crude oil and all commodities are are trading sharply to the upside, and and uh, so just big, big day of risk on. And and you mentioned the uh, the reversal in the soybean and soy meal markets, and and they've recouped uh, much of what they lost yesterday. Uh, the price strength in the corn and wheat markets and also in soy oil is a continuation of the uh, the price gains that we saw yesterday. So uh, just overall uh, broad-based buying across the grain and soy markets this morning. Well, look at them's cattles. Even with corn higher today, we've got fat cattle and feeder cattle on the plus side. Yeah, absolutely. And more of that uh, euphoric uh, nature that uh, on the uh, the broader uh, outside markets and everything, uh, you know, and, and that was largely driven by the inflation data. Consumer inflation data for November came in uh, uh, lower than what was expected. And, and uh, so uh, it looks like inflation has peaked and, and that's got the uh, the markets excited this morning, including the, uh, the cattle markets, like you mentioned, and also hogs. Uh, so starting to build some of that premium back into uh, the deferred con contracts that uh, that they've been taken out of hog futures here recently dude we're even seeing strength in cotton yeah absolutely yes this is really broad-based like i mentioned uh it, it's hard to find uh, much red on the screen today uh aside from uh, you know like uh, bonds and stuff like that that's pro farmer editor brian grady on agritalk for markets now to produce higher yields and greater value at harvest Timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. 
FullScale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about FullScale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. Glad that you've tuned in on your favorite ag radio station or your preferred digital device. Uh, something very important to talk about now. There are some shifts coming up. Let me just lay it out here for you. On June 11, 2023, the FDA's new directive called Guidance for the Industry Number 263 is slated for implementation, meaning that over-the-counter antibiotics will no longer be Available without a prescription, the intent of the new antibiotic guidance is to ensure animal drugs that contain antimicrobials important for humans are not being overused or used incorrectly. Texas Farm Bureau Associate Director of Regulatory Activities Tracy Tomsick says, quote, There are many antibiotics used in both human and animal medicine, and there's concern that overuse or misuse of these medicines can contribute to antimicrobial resistance. FDA has been updating its antimicrobial medication guidelines for several years now. This is the latest in a string of changes to the way ranchers can access medication for livestock use. For some clarity here, from uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison Extension, Sandra Stitchin. Sandra, thanks for joining us this morning on AgriTalk. I hope you're well. Oh, pretty good. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, So... I don't know if this does this new new directive come as a surprise to to producers and users of antibiotics or I mean it's it's not the first but it just sort of feels like the industry is playing a little bit of cleanup here in requiring prescriptions for some of these antibiotics is this a new thing Well FDA has been working on this for actually the past 20 years it is part of their initiative to maintain antibiotic effectiveness. Like you said in the opener, it's about their push for judicious use of antimicrobials, um, which is occurring in the veterinary community and in the human medical community as well. So it started over 20 years ago and this judicious use of antimicrobials is what led to the veterinary feed directives, which were issued in 2017 and now this le- actually, I think this is the last part of this push where we're going to take all the few remaining antibiotics that you can currently find on some farm supply stores, and they're all going to be switched 
their labels will be switched and it'll say that you can only purchase these on the order of uh, by for use or on the order by a veterinarian a licensed veterinarian now i saw the list of the uh the antibiotics that are now <laughs> i can't pronounce most of them sure. that are on the list, but I did see one word in there that I could pronounce, and that's penicillin. That's a big one. Uh, growing up on the farm, I know we went through a fair amount of penicillin, and it was always pretty widely available, easy to get a hold of, and it did sort of feel like not a whole lot of, of regulation. You just sort of you know use it when you, you think you need it, and off you go. Um, but that sets a bit of a dangerous precedent antimicrobially, doesn't it? Correct. Penicillin is one of the oldest standards and has been highly overused and actually back in 1990s in the 1990s already when I started veterinary practice I was a licensed veterinarian I still am but I did large animal practice before I joined extension um, already in the 90s we were seeing resistance and veterinarians at that time were given the option to extend or extra label use on penicillin to use higher doses to try to make it work um, and in the 90s, we started getting some newer antimicrobials out that were issued as prescription only so that they would be used more correctly. And hopefully we wouldn't end up with them becoming um, the bacteria that fight them becoming resistant to them. So, yeah, penicillin has been overworked for a long time. The other drugs that are impacted by this are tylosin or tylin, the tetracyclines or the oxytetracyclines and all the sulfas. So the injectable forms of these, the orals, the boluses, the powders, the liquids, and also the intramammary products, especially the ones that contain sephirpin, um, which is an intramammary tube used to treat mastitis. When we're, when we're talking about that, the uh, antimicrobial resistance, um, drug residues can show up, as I understand it, in eggs, milk, meat, uh, even honey from treated animals. Um, so is this designed to fight resistance in the animals themselves, or is the greater concern for human antibiotic resistance? We always prioritize human health over animal. Now, from my point of view, the animals are just as important, and I want the antibiotics to be an effective tool. When I need to treat something, I want them to work. But um, from FDA's point of view, we really are worried about human health. So yes, any resistant bacteria that develop after an infection that survive in that animal that you then harvest for meat or milk or honey, those resistant bacteria could be ingested in a human and could have impact on the human's intestinal flora. And our gut health is very important to our own immune system. The other problem with making resistant bacteria is we have the greatest, I believe, I have confidence, the human medical ability to handle things in the United States is fantastic. Our survival rates on cancer and knee replacements that work and hip surgeries that do well, that's all great until a patient gets a secondary bacterial infection and there is not a drug to treat it. And now people die or have to have extended hospital stays and it becomes very expensive and very emotional. It's a huge social impact. Mm, indeed, indeed. Um, under the new rule, producers with a current veterinary client patient relationship, they call that a VCPR, 
uh, can purchase antibiotics directly from their veterinarian or from a distributor with the veterinarian's prescription. How hard are those prescriptions going to be? Do we, I mean, it used to be you could just go to the vet and, hey, I need some antibiotics, and you could just get them. Now do we need to have a vet come out and look and assess the animals? What's, uh, what's the procedural change in getting these prescriptions? You have to, you have to establish the relationship. Okay. So yes, at some point the vet has to come out and talk with you and inspect your animals. And at that, at least once a year, but it's not prescriptive. In Wisconsin, the timeliness of the, vi- uh, the visits really kind of depends on your own personal relationship with your vet. But while the vet is out, they get to know you, they know your cattle, you can sit down with them and write standard operating procedures and routine um, drug orders for, so that you can have an inventory on your farm. Mm. They can, the vet can feel comfortable about leaving you prescription products and directions on how to use them. So when Sunday afternoon happens and the cattle get sick, because that always happens on emergency time. Oh, of course. You don't, yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to call the vet to come. You could actually use some telehealth technologies now, call them over the phone, show them something over your video camera, and they can talk through with you how to treat that animal because they've done it already. You have the relationship in place. Mm-hmm. This is going to change things, though, for some farm supply stores and how they um, manage some of these prescription pharmaceuticals, yeah? Yes, and I'm not sure what the farm supply stores are doing. They have to decide if they are going to handle pres- taking prescriptions and the record record keeping with that. So that's going to be a case-by-case. Case. Or, you know, I, I can imagine some of the farm supply stores are going to say, yeah, no, because they're understaffed and they you know, various reasons. Do they need additional paperwork or not? Mm -hmm. Now, I just moved to a to a new town and I left behind my dentist, my uh, general practitioner, my doctor. I'm I'm a little uncomfortable right now because I really feel uh, it it leads to good health to have regular uh, physicians who understand my conditions, my family history, and all of these sorts of things. I would argue the same is true for any body of livestock that a producer is keeping. It's best to have a vet that understands your needs, your uh, animal population there on the farm. So what what would you suggest to farmers who maybe don't have a regular vet? Find one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and there are pockets of the state where we are have a shortage of large animal vets, so it Ooh. might be a little bit it might be a little bit of more of a challenge. But okay. you are in the power, uh, you are in the seats. You can go ahead and interview, call somebody out. It's a great time this time of year to think about. I need to set up what I'm going to do for my spring vaccination program. Mm-hmm. So make an appointment, have them come out. And talk about here's you know show them everything, have this conversation. Yes, those are billable hours. I get that, and that's going to be probably a switch for some people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But farmers can also do some background ahead of time for free, like they could visit with their extension agents. And your beef farmers, in particular, could go through beef quality assurance classes, which is something that I teach. 
And beef quality assurance, we really talk about antimicrobial use, vaccination protocols, all that. They could get a lot of that information ahead of time, but then you still call the vet out, have the conversation, start writing some of the vet directive orders, get your list of prescription, and you're on your way. Because those those billable hours, I I would say, I would argue, are are money well spent. Uh, yes. Sandra Sandra Stitchin from the University of Wisconsin Madison Extension. Thank you so much for bringing some clarity to this issue to us. I appreciate your time this morning. Have a great day. Thank you. So the new directives go into effect June 2023. If you do not have a regular veterinarian as part of your operation, your animal husbandry plan, get one, get one, get one, and get all this figured out. We're going to be talking dairy with an Arizona dairy producer coming up next on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Uh, great conversation with Sandra Stitchin from uh, the University of Wisconsin at Madison Extension. She, uh, just off air after we were done, she said that there was so much more that she could have said. She would sum it up by saying this. This is a quote. You can't make a veterinary relationship doing a C-section at midnight. Huh. The the importance there shines through, especially if, we, if we've got some prescription regulations coming up for antibiotics and things that, I know that you livestock producers use with a degree of frequency. So uh, her, she wanted to make sure and stress to make that veterinary relationship before you're in crisis. Um, get it when you know. Get it before you absolutely have to have it. Get it going. Get in touch with a local vet. Uh, right now, let me bring in Casey Dugan, an Arizona dairy producer that is, uh, as I understand it, down in Las Vegas at the dairy conference right now. Mr. Dugan, welcome to AgriTalk. Going. It's going very, very well. Now, dude, I was I was looking at your bio here, um, and you're a multi generational dairy farmer. But the operation at one point decided, you know what? Nah, we're not going to do dairy in Wisconsin. We're going to do it in Arizona. What? 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 How did that come about? So my my grandfather, when he was in his forties, he actually got sick in Wisconsin, and uh, 
they told me he needed to move to a drier climate. So he packed up his six sons and they went to Arizona and uh, he started working for another dairy farm as he started his own and then eventually was able to get all six of us become dairy farmers in Arizona as well. That's outstanding. So, um, yeah. We don't hear a whole lot about the the Arizona dairy scene. Can you can you help me get my head around it? Yeah, Arizona's pretty cool, actually, because, I mean, we're almost on an island. I mean, we produce all of our own milk for Arizona, and there's about 37 producers um, and about 25 families total in Arizona for uh, the dairy farming industry. Um, I think it's like 200,000 cows. Average herd size is probably between 1,000, 3,000 to 5,000. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a Saudi-style barns usually. Mm-hmm. We do uh, have a, a lot of fans and the cooler cows down. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, and you've got a fairly sizable operation. That you... Yeah, you bet. Uh, you've got a fairly sizable operation uh, down there. You, I have it here that you and your family employ somewhere around 60 employees altogether. That's a lot to keep straight. Yeah, altogether about 60 employees. I have a 2,000 cow dairy and then my dad has a 2,000 cow dairy. And then we have a feeding operation where we purchase all the feed and, and feed the two dairies, disperse all the feed uh, to the two dairies uh, together. So, yeah. Now, uh, I wanted to talk to you about this because labor is a humongous issue. Uh, Karen Bonert was talking about the labor panels, uh, of which you will be a part uh, at some point down there at the conference. But at some point, you hit up the Florence West Prison to help fill some vacant positions on your farms. How did that come about? Yeah, it was a string of luck, actually. I, I, we contacted the prison in the past, and they said nothing was available, and then finally got a hold of the right person, and they came out and looked at our operation and said it would actually be perfect because the worst thing is it, if the prison inmates come out and it's seasonal, you know, they want a constant, everyday type of work, and the dairy farm is perfect for that. So they actually come out, and uh, we have 13 inmates now working for us. And they come out uh, every day, seven days a week, um, and work one milking shift for us. And they uh, do a with, great job. With that comes some restrictions on your farm as to what you can have around the grounds, obviously. But uh, I, I read uh, read an article where you were saying, you know, these are these are things that we don't necessarily want to have around the farm. Anyway, so it, it's really, uh, it really didn't take much of an update for you to be become uh, inmate worker friendly, yeah? No, no. I mean, like the main thing was just not having the firearms on the on the dairy farm, which mm-hmm. you know that wasn't really a hard to get. Once the inmates leave, if we need to uh, put a cow down or something like that, mm-hmm. we just wait till they leave to do it. So now, or, what- or, or veterinarian. At, at one point, there were concerns about COVID-19, and apparently, as I see it here, in the middle of the sh- of a shift, the work program was instantly shut down. And so what you did was got a hold of the dairy manager's son's high school baseball squad and got some workers from there. That was a pretty slick move. <laughs> yeah, I usually have it like at, at my dairy, I'll have maybe 13 total employees. At that time, I've had like 25, 30. I told the baseball team, you guys could come in, work one day if you want, two days in a row. doesn't matter. I just need guys to milk and cows. So it was awesome. They actually were in there, and they had their earbuds on, and it was the, 
the quietest my barn ever was. They, they were a little scared of the cows, <laughs> yeah. but they took good care of them, and there was no yelling at the cows. It was, they were very calm. Great, great. It was, it was really neat, yeah, and they enjoyed it too. Well, and as far as the inmates here, you've got some uh, that are – most of them are, are milking, as I understand, but you've also got some specialized labor. you got a welder going. you got a mechanic. And the, the beauty part of it here, I feel like, is these – these uh, inmates can gather some valuable skills uh, and even leave the prison with not only some good work experience, but a little cash in hand as well. Yeah. Guys, they're mostly in for like their second DUI or something like that, like three to Mm -hmm. five years. Um, They got to be a model inmate to be just part of the program. And then as soon as they, uh, they get approved and all their background checks and everything like that, checks out and they're doing a good job in prison then they get the opportunity to come out and work for us and, and uh yeah so th- <clears throat> we've hired three or four of them once they gotten out and to stay there with us we've given them a place to live and and uh they're they're great employees and the That's good thing about it is that mm-hmm. a guy decides he doesn't want to decides he doesn't want to work yeah he'll just stay back in prison and they'll bring the next guy out so but We've had very little of that, but the, the only downfall Good. is these yeah. guys have never been around cows before. So, oh sure, training. Sure, Casey Dugan, Arizona dairy producer. We appreciate you. We appreciate your program. Thanks for being on AgriTalk this morning, buddy. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Hey, I almost forgot about our yields in the fields. Go, Joe. Yields in the fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. From up north, batting down the hatches, everybody. Jack Frost is on a tear.